Are you looking for a better way to create your dream life? How to create wealth so you can enjoy your hobbies, friends, and family even more? Then this podcast is for you. We're Chris and Paul, and we're on a mission to help regular women and men gain access to passive income opportunities. Income opportunities that most people never even hear of. So let's start the show and create your fortune in wealth, health, and life, one step at a time. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome. So you want to know how we take the dirt and turn it into beautiful class A multifamily apartment complexes. How do we start with a vacant plot of land and securing that land going all the way up to a seven to 15 story property with all the latest amenities, uh, high demand for tenants and uh, and the place you want to live? Well, we have a very special guest for you. We have Brad Eide on and he is the uh, president of Elevate Companies, and he's a developer. And Bradley has at least 15 years of experience in the development space and a really dynamic background. Have partnered with him on on new construction projects, and today he's going to explain kind of the soup to nuts, the dirt to uh, a seven to fifteen story Class A property with all the latest amenities and and some of the details that are in there that we get asked a lot about. You know, like the permitting process, the county, the securing the land, and and then eventually those entitlements and and actually the build out and and then sale. Right, then you get to the sale point. So Brad's going to talk a little bit about that today, and and we're really excited to have him because he's an absolute expert in his field. So Bradley, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us maybe a little bit more about you, and then then just share your wisdom and knowledge. Thanks, man. <laughs> and thanks for having me on, Chris. It's it's great to join you today and talk more about a subject that I'm very passionate about. Something that I've been involved in um, for over the last 15 years throughout the country, and so uh, near and dear to my heart. And something that uh, hopefully is beneficial for you and the listeners to. Uh, to kind of get a listen in on and, and a little bit more in depth um, as we kind of give you a little bit of a, an idea of, of the thought process behind what we do from the development standpoint. So um, with that being said, you know, my, my background, um, you know, grew up in the Pacific Northwest and kind of through the construction business um, and then found myself after university in New York City uh, doing all the uh, fun and glamorous things in New York City on the development side, construction management. Um, and so really had a lot uh, of of really thoughtful experience in New York City that you get from all the high rise and, and the big hustle and bustle of, of the Big Apple. And so a lot of that experience has, has uh, served me well and um, has taken me to other uh, markets across the country, which we're developing in, you know, uh, as as partners, as you know, and um, we continue to, you know, look at new opportunities as they arise. So, you know, now we're focused on, you know, these these larger ground up development sites uh, as a business, elevate companies, and we're really, you know, trying to grow our footprint nationally. Uh, right now, we're we're focused on kind of a super region throughout Colorado. Arizona and Texas, and we're going to continue to expand those footprints. And we're very excited about Southeast and and what's been continuing to grow there, as well as some of the the Middle America markets um, and the secondary and tertiary markets that we think are poised for growth. And so that that kind of leads me into you know the the decision making 
of, of, of where we're going. And so, you know, I think, you know, to, to kind of, you know, touch a little bit on, you know, I think the, the first, you know, couple of steps that we take from the development community is just the, the kind of types of property that we're identifying and, and, and where those opportunities lie and what locations they are in um, that we're excited about. And so, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the type of asset, if it's a multifamily, if it's straight land, is it industrial, office, commercial, um, so we're, we're looking at, um, you know, the different types of assets, um, in these particular locations that, that we feel are either underserved or not hitting the market. Um, so we look at the risk profile of, you know, of what we're doing in each of those markets. And then we like to look at the, the intensity of the management of, of those deals and what it's, what it means for us. If we're doing an, an acquisition, like you guys have been doing on, on your side for, you know, the last handful of years, um, the intensity isn't as great because those are existing assets. You have to do your due diligence, of course, uh, but you're not going through the development um, process, which is what we're kind of here to talk you through today. And, and, and that's an intensive process that um, takes a long time. It's a, you know, kind of a three-year gestational period, you know, depending on what you're doing, if you're looking for variances or if they're as of right uses. And we can talk about that a little bit later as well in the conversation. But um, that's kind of the the what to buy uh, process that we go through. And, and first, you know, doing our hunting as we, as we kind of peel back the different layers of the onions, if you will, and, and, and trying to understand these different markets and, and uh, the opportunities that are presented to us. And kind of the second thing is, is, <clears throat> you know, dependent on, you know, the management intensity, you know, you need to assemble your deal team and assembling the deal team is critical too um, in terms of sourcing. So, you know, what are your relationships like in, in these different markets? You know, your brokers, you know, who are you reaching out to? You know, we like to transact most of the time off market. We don't compete in a lot of these, um, you know, call for bids and, and get into these, you know, these these bidding exercises. We, we think everybody knows what the land is worth. There's comp sets that we go through that point us in the direction that, that extract the value in which we're, we're happy to pay um, for any given deal based on, again, you know, the what to buy that I touched on earlier in terms of location type of asset, et cetera. So yeah, that's that's um, you know kind of the 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 first lead in is is really you know trying to understand you know who those folks are in your particular markets that are going to put you on to those really good deals that you're excited about, um, and then having you know your 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 broker on on the on the lending side you know ready uh, to go as well. So you you know having people who are transacting in those markets know the markets well um, that can pull you in. Um, you know, to different groups that, that can uh, actually, you know, uh, be efficient in those markets that are up to speed so that you don't have to do too much educating um, in terms of the different opportunities. And so having really astute, um, you know, deal team, I think, is, is really critical. And then, you know, obviously building your real estate attorney in so that when you're doing your purchase and sale agreements for these things that you have somebody that, that knows um, you know, what, what to do in terms of structure, how to protect you, uh, what's reasonable, fair and equitable in terms of, you know, the asks that, that you may be, uh, putting forth in the governance of these contracts. And so, you know, sometimes we, 
uh, are using local council. Sometimes we'll use uh, council that you know we've been using for you know the last fifteen years. Uh, that will set the contracts, but then we'll do a peer review, say in that local jurisdiction that you know, we'll get the the last little eyes on to make sure that if there are any nuances in those local markets that we're picking those things up um, and folding them into the PSA just to make sure that we have a, you know, a robust PSA that covers kind of everything across the board. Um, and, you know, in different markets, you're having standardized contracts that we're putting addendums to. And sometimes we're just starting fresh with a, a purchase and sale agreement that, um, you know, we we basically craft uh, per you know the deal to make sure that you know all the the different things that that we're looking for that the property has that we know about or don't know about are covered. So, um, and then the next are the architects, the engineers, the consultants, um, the managing agents. You know that that we would be looking for in these particular markets and. Um, you know, those, those, those deal team people are really critical in making sure that you're comfortable. You have people who can, you know, perform in these different markets. And they're also great sources of information. Um, I always tell like my accountants and the attorneys, you know, you, you know, I understand you can do the work, but what else can you do for me? Can you put me on to money? Can you put me on to new deals? And so these are ways that we try to find the those backdoor kind of Rolodex deals where, you know, it's not for sale, but it could be for sale. Um, you know, you know, how do we get in early? How do we not have to compete with the rest of the market and doing these, these quieter things? And so the deal team actually can put you on to a lot of these things. Um, you know, my, my civil engineer is, is uh, you know, in site, site civil engineer is probably one of my best friends. And a good reason is, is because, you know, before you sell a piece of property, you're going through the Alta process and surveying the property to make sure that, you know, you know what you have um, and you know how to price it, a pro- you know, a properly and you know what the kind of obstacles are, if any, with the site. And so, you know, a lot of times before sellers put their their properties on the market, you know, here's a nugget, you know, get really close with your site, civil um, who are doing all the Alta surveys and, um, you know, say, if you know anybody who's looking to sell and you're doing the Alta work for, you know, maybe we have a, an early conversation, save them the broker fee and, and do a quick transaction and not have to put them out on the market and drag them through that process, which, you know, it could, could go either way. Um, you know, for people. Uh, but again, like I think I touched on earlier, I think people know what the uh, the actual value is of of their land. And so I don't, I don't think that you're getting less than, I think you're just, you're transacting quicker and quieter. Um, and there may be some issues around that if you have existing tenants in, in place that um, you don't want to alarm. Um, or if you're, you know, you've got your own, uh, your user operator of a, of a business and, you know, people don't know that maybe you'd be retiring and selling off the business. You know, there's a, there's a myriad of things that, um, you know, you would be thinking about by doing kind of these quieter transactions to protect kind of the information from being out there earlier than you want. So, um, that kind of, you know, takes us to the, you know, finding the right opportunity, you know, with those folks, um, that are giving you the information on the brokerage side or, you know, those different call it relationships. Um, that, that could put you onto those deals. And so it's, it's really then, you know, just assessing, you know, what out of that, you know, net that you've casted with the, the deal team that, that really makes sense to you and that, that resonates and, and you can see the opportunity there. Um, and as developers, we, we, we try to hold a crystal ball as much as we can, Chris. It's, uh, 
this process where, you know, one area could look completely desolate. I don't understand why you're building this. It doesn't make any sense to me, but, you know, we, we like to think of ourselves as, you know, the, the, um, you know, the field of dreams sometimes where, you know, we're, 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 we're Kevin Costner and we're sitting here saying, you know, if, if I build it, it will help transform this area. It'll, it'll help generate that growth or that transition in these blighted areas or these areas that, you know, maybe haven't been looked at. And so, um, we really try to see what the city's doing, try to be astute to, you know, what they're, uh, doing from a, a planning standpoint. So here in Denver, I'm at the downtown Denver partnership, um, state of downtown Denver, trying to understand what the city's plans are, listening to the mayor speak, um, listening to a lot of the high profile people uh, in the real estate industry, if it's banking, if it's real estate side on the development, um, brokers, et cetera. And, and really trying to understand, you know, where the pockets are for opportunity and, and where, um, you know, I might be able to get some creative deal flow. And so that, that kind of, you know, sums up, I guess, the first lift of it. And I guess I'll let kind of stop there and maybe let you answer some of those questions that may have popped up or touch on some of the points that maybe I brought up, Chris, and then we can continue to go on. Yeah, that's great, Bradley. Thank you so much. So a couple of things. Obviously, there's a lot of moving parts in development and construction, right? A lot of that is like that that iceberg story. Like you're you're building everything up underneath. You're doing all this negotiating months and months in advance. You're looking at all these deals. Obviously, engineers and entitlements and all these things you got to go through, right? You got to make sure that the city or county is okay with everything. You got to make sure there's water. Or is it going to be septics or sewer? And are we piping into the city or not? And all of this. We've gone through you negotiating really the land, mostly off market based on your experience and and obviously being diligent and, and tenacious out there finding these opportunities. And then you go through this civil engineer process where you guys are kind of doing a preliminary, hey, does this make sense? Is the market right? Are there any sort of environmental issues? And then uh, real quickly, uh, I know there's a process where uh, you have money that has to go in, right? You got to put some money down on this land, but yet you don't want to put too much money that you can't get back because if something comes up on the property, uh, you want to be able to back out of the opportunity, right? So for the most part, before your money is, let's, we call it hard in the industry where you can't get it back, you generally have this sort of feasibility thing done where you know, okay, yep, we are 99% sure that not only is everything going to fly, we've been on the calls, let's say with the mayor's office, the engineers or the county planners, permitting whoever, uh, but not only that, but that we can most likely put, let's say, seven floors or 200 units. And then maybe that yep. shifts a little and it goes up, but that's generally what you're doing before you guys have the, okay, let's go forward. Is that right? Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly right. And I think, you know, that that's kind of the next um, phase of, of maybe the conversation that, that I was, I was going into in terms of, you know, when we actually are, are doing, um, you know, the walkthroughs of those properties and when doing the underwriting, um, you know, making sure that we're submitting the proper offer and then getting into that scenario that you're talking about, which is when we're in contract and we really start to spend um, the resources um, on that particular given site. And by resources, I mean the time and financial um, bandwidth in terms of making sure that we're exercising everything during that due diligence period. And, and, and you, you, you have some terminology here. And so um, you know, to kind of piggyback on what you're saying is, you know, once we do have the offer submitted in, in which we're, we're creating 
the the space required for us as a development community to really go through and understand the feasibility of the site. So um, we talk about deposits, soft deposits or deposits that we get back um, within a certain time period, which is typically our due diligence period that we're asking for if it's 90 or 120 days. Consider this kind of window dressing. It's a free look. That money comes back to us. But we're putting it down nonetheless, showing that, you know, the seller that we are motivated, you know, we have we have money down and that we're going to start spending um, other money and other time on the project. And that money that we spend um, above the deposit during the due diligence period, that money is is, is basically deal leakage um, in terms of money that we may or may not see back. Right. So what I mean by that is is if I spend $50,000 in environmental concept plans, surveys, geotech soil tests, et cetera, with the A&E team that we've identified for this particular project, you know, again, going back to who's the deal team, these people are going to be an integral part about giving us a roadmap of what's actually possible in these particular locations. And so for 120 days, I get this free look to say, hey, Chris, does this really pass the smell, the smell test for us or not? And if it does, we have an election and a go hard date, in which that soft deposit money then becomes hard, right? You, you just spoke about it becomes non-refundable. Um, and sometimes, you know, depending on how long the closing is and how long we're stretching this thing out, you know, to get us through approvals, um, that money or portion of that money can be released to the seller. In, in exchange for the time that we're getting um, to go through the development process and the site development plan, plan approval and anything else jurisdictionally that we need to do for that particular project. Um, and then that, you know, gives us the time to, you know, go through our process and then take us to a closing. And then obviously we have our closing and, you know, that's part of the deal team who, you know, are we getting an acquisition loan? Um, before we get into construction, are we giving ourselves enough time with inside the contract, you know, which is, you know, the negotiations to actually go through our entire process and say, Hey, we've actually gotten through the entire approval process with the city. We have building permits in hand. We can go right to a construction loan that will take care of the acquisition of the land in terms of the, the loan to cost that gets rolled into. Um, the construction loan plus any of our hard and soft costs. And so, you know, to kind of go into that, yeah, here we go. We're in a scenario where we're closing and we need to be able to be in a place where we're performing on, on the contract and in an acquisition loan standpoint where maybe we have a tighter timeline where we can't stretch the seller out or conditions don't allow us to stretch the seller out to an ideal situation where we say, Hey, we're, we're ready. We got permits ready to build. We're going to close on the property. Uh, maybe we have to come up with um, some sort of a strategy where we have to bifurcate the, the, the acquisition loan and then pick up the construction loan later once we're ready in a place uh, to start that construction process. And so acquisition loan is you know typically right around 50-60% of, of, of the value of the property. Uh, the equity that goes in on the other side, that's on the GP side. And so we talk about what money goes in on the general partnership side. And, and just to kind of touch on that, the general partnership side is the same thing as the development side. We are the people who are putting in the first money, the riskiest money um, in furthering the project to a place to where we can actually go out and raise our, our the rest of our equity. And that's the LP equity. 
um, which comes in many different forms that that could be friends and family, crowdfunding, you know, network. It could be you know private equity, real estate. It could be private family offices that um, invest in um, you know kind of tax advantage and capital preservation. Um, you know, asset classes like real estate, you know, you'll, you'll definitely see about a 25 or 30% of, of, um, you know, net worth of, of any of these families in real estate holdings. It's just the way that we like to spread the risk out. And so real estate's a fantastic way to do that. Um, that's probably a separate podcast. We could talk about that. I'm happy to come back if, um, if, if I show up properly here for you today, but, um, we can get into those nuances, but, you know, to, to skip back and not make it too cluttered or confusing and just talk about the process, you know, that um, development process that we go through and really furthering the project and understanding, um, you know, what we have. And you were a part of a call, um, got you and Paul in on a call on on Tuesday with the city and, and all the the different pieces that, that have to come together with the team. Um, to really talk about any gating issues um, and addressing those issues and having those conversations early on when we put our concept review in before we go hard. So we have a pretty good idea of, of certainty and what kind of the, the risk reward profiles are on, you know, what are some of these issues? Can we get around them? Um, do we think we have some negotiating power here with the city? You know, um, and that particular project is about a hundred million dollar project. So the city really wants to see that we're putting in 250 beds and we've got retail and we're activating, you know, kind of these uh, frontierish areas um, where we see a lot of growth opportunity. And so the city should be on board um, with a lot of the different things that we're proposing there. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we're putting together a thoughtful plan that we believe is in line with the code and what we're allowed to do as as of right site. Um, and we talk about as of right or variances. So as of right meaning, you know, we have the ability to build whatever we're proposing in the concept plan. Any type of variance is, is something that's outside of um, what is the as of right. So we're looking for a use change. We're looking for height variances things like that that are a longer process that um, elongate the development um, process in terms of, uh, you know, getting to a, a place to start construction. And so, you know, these are, these are things that you have to assess early on in terms of the opportunity, you know, what you're doing, what the risk profile is of those things and, and what the timing is of those. And so that kind of takes us through, you know, the architecture and engineering. And, and once we have concept plan approval, and we're given the green light to go, we, we really start to detail all those plans out. We're going through, you know, the foundation design. We're going through the, you know, what, what type of construction type we're using there. Is it wood? Is it metal? You know, cold press, um, you know, framing. Um, is it uh, concrete, uh, post-tension concrete? So we're identifying our, our options. And a lot of that's based on, um, on height factors. Um, you have to switch to different construction type based on, um, you know, what you're building. And so, uh, a 20 story building is going to have a different superstructure than a five story or a garden walk up, right? Where we can use, you know, uh, lumber as, as our method of, of a superstructure. And so, um, really going through the design process is important and, and pricing it, right? Pricing it is, is, is one of the biggest things that we have to solve for in terms of the development community is, you know, what is, what is my range of, of, of pricing based on the construction type in this location? 
and working with a pre-con team or a construction CMGCs that you know are in the marketplace or building real time can give you a range of pricing that you should expect for that particular project. And that's one of the biggest things, right? So, you know, we know what the price of the land is. That's fixed. We've already negotiated it. We have a pretty good idea of what the soft costs are going to be, which are the, the costs that go into actually developing the site plan. That's the architects, engineers, et cetera. Um, and what we really have to start to identify and what the moving pieces are, are the construction costs. And we know that those things have gone wildly crazy over the last couple of years due to the pandemic. And so we've seen construction index pricing going all over the place for building materials. And so, you know, paying attention to those things, understanding what the escalations are going to be and building those into your pro forma are essential um, because they could essentially make or break the project if you're, you know, penciling this thing out and all of a sudden you're 10 or 15% over what you thought once you do your pricing exercise, those can have really meaningful impacts. Um, so we got to solve for these kind of variables, which are the construction pricing and then obviously the rents. And then as we look to the loan, it's interest rates. You know, what, what is the cost of, 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 of debt? What is the cost of equity? Um, and, and the equity is typically easier to solve for. It's the debt that, you know, you really want to dive into. But if, if it moves a half a basis point or this or that one way or the other, if it's breaking your deal, it's probably not a deal. Right. If you're so priced to perfection, you probably shouldn't be doing that deal. If you're, you, you know, oh, we can make it work. We can make it work. Listen, you can model anything to make it work, but really what's real? What is real in the marketplace? And so, so don't fool yourself and, and try to tweaking numbers, um, to, to make the numbers look better for you and, and for, um, the lending and equity communities because they know they're smart money. They're in these markets every day. Um, so th there's going to be a realistic look there in, in terms of looking at the pro formas and the underwriting, um, comp base, et cetera, uh, as it pertains to the land and, and to what the rents are doing, or if you're in a for sale market, you know, what are the sellouts on the square footage basis? And so, you know, these are all the, the things that we have to gather during the due diligence period in order to give us that ability to go hard, put our money at risk and say, we feel really good about this project. We're going to take it to closing. We're going to design something that we think is going to be really outstanding for the location and, and is filling a need or we're doing something radically different than maybe that city has seen or, you know, doing something that, that we feel is, is necessary in those particular markets. If there's a housing shortage or if there's, you know, need for more industrial or a creative office or, or, uh, you know, I think retail is going to come back in a big way. Um, I think the days of, of, of Amazon being more of a utility company and not making a profit, um, you know, and I could be wrong. I think, you know, they, they have to perform, right? I mean, you know, people have to perform and that's, you know, what we are as a real estate business is we, you know, we have value. We know what the comp bases are, you know, we, we're turning profits, you know, that's what we're here for. And, and, you know, the market may not be doing that. Those companies may not be doing that. But in real estate, it's a hard asset. And that's what I love about this um, particular market, uh, this this industry, is that, you know, we get to create from the development standpoint a, a, a building from scratch. So we let our imaginations run wild. And, and, and you know, we talk about just the... Uh, the process of going through and, and, and developing these things from the ground up. And it's really a special experience and one that I really love. 
um, to be a part of, you're not buying an existing asset in somebody else's work that, you know, maybe is a 30 or 40 year old vintage, um, or maybe it's new and, and you, and you're buying it from somebody five years later, you know, it's, it's their design and it's their brainchild. Right. But, you know, here where you're, you know, you're saying, you know, what do we do with this dirt? What could be done with this dirt? You let your creativity run wild and you, and you, and we talked about the crystal ball and trying to forecast what this area is going to look like and what the transformation could be once our building is built, what that's going to do and how that's going to change the skyline or um, pedestrian foot traffic and the vibrancy of that particular area and continue to spawn more um, creative uh, development and growth in those particular pockets. And so that's what kind of gets me going in these different markets is really doing something different and unique. And, um, you know, I think every developer that <clears throat> you probably talk to is, you know, we're developers, but we do things differently. And <clears throat> everybody likes to try to kind of him and haw about, you know, how they're doing things differently. But, but there are developers out there that are doing things differently and, and staying on the creative edge and, and really looking forward, looking at trends, looking how, um, you know, our geographics are behaving and trying to pick up on things that we can do differently. Um, if it's from a design or if it's from an amenity standpoint or location standpoint, um, really trying to differentiate ourselves and just be a cut above the rest. And especially when you're in the class A where you're fighting for kind of the top dollar, you really have to come to market, um, with a, I think a thoughtful execution in terms of uh, what the building is going to look like and feel like and the attitude of the building. So I don't let know. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Oh, Brad, this is fabulous. This is amazing. And let me ask you a question. So here's, here's something that we get a lot <clears throat> and obviously there's so many moving parts, right? I mean, you're an expert in your field. I've heard you on the calls. We've done business together. I'm just finishing up a project in Connecticut. Amazing, right? These are amazing places that people want to live. Let me ask you this, though, because for for someone who doesn't really know construction um, or or development or even multifamily apartments, right? The the person who really knows nothing about it, what comes up oftentimes is, and I think this is just developed based on experiences on TV or on YouTube or whatever, but they say things like, "Well, construction is risky," right? Or um, I don't know anything about it. it. It seems like it takes too much time. Look what happened in two thousand eight, or et cetera, et cetera. Right? There's all these misnomers and things. So I, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions and we'll just keep them simple. Like basically you talk about private equity, right? You talk about money coming in, people that are going to invest alongside, let's say limited partners. So everyone's coming together to buy these things, right? And then, so you have this private equity, then you have the bank's money, right? So you have two different types of money minimum, sometimes three, sometimes four, but let's just say the bank's equity, the private equity, all these people have to have faith, right? And a belief that the model, the system, the underwriting, the uh, due diligence, all of the work that's gone in by the developer, they have to have confidence that all that makes sense, T's crossed, I's dotted, like the mayor's office being on calls. As you said, you get you get everyone buying in because they not only believe in it, but they understand the demographics, they understand the, the growth and where it's going. And so- as far as like it being a huge risk to a lot of people, this is what people think, right? It, it may not be as risky as people think. And 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 I just wanted you to quickly touch on, you mentioned it. Well, we look at a piece of property and say, well, where is the development going? What direction is it going and why? You get on with the city, the county, you start feeling out with the planners. You go to these meetings and you try to feel out, 
where are they putting resources, right? Where's the county putting a transit center, et cetera, so that maybe you put a building there because you know the demand's going that way, right? Or by a lake or whatever. Um, I just wanted you to, one, just address quickly just your thoughts on like the risk profile of construction versus value add, just in a sense, hey, if I didn't know anything about this, this is this is why it's not as risky as you might think. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, starting from new and having something, you know, there's definitely a different risk that's associated with it. There are things that can happen during the process, which, um, you know, construction usually, depending on the size of the project is kind of an 18 to 24 month construction effort until you're actually able to to take TCO or temporary certificate of occupancy where you can actually start occupying the building because you've got um, all the kind of life safety things uh, checked off, you know, from the city and, um, you know, the e- ingress, egress are there, the, the fire's there, you know, all the plumbing electrical work's been signed off, right? So um, that process, it's just a longer process. And if you're picking the right markets and you're selecting everything, it, it's not uh, this. It's not a, a perceived riskier uh, proposition in my mind. I think that if you're doing your homework and you're doing the selection process properly, that um, it's just a timing thing. So you really have to just get comfortable with the elongated time frame, right? So from a value add standpoint, you say you've got a 20 unit building. And you've got 10 units that are vacant that you can work on. Well, you're flipping half of the building and that may take you three to four months. The building's already built. All you have to do is put your finishes in. Maybe you reconfigure some of the bedrooms, layouts, et cetera. Um, in development, you're, you're, you're starting from scratch. So it's just, again, it's a longer process you know, to kind of get you through the life cycle to get you to the occupancy of that building. And so I think if you're, if you're selecting properly, um, you know, a lot of those things go out the window, you know, the risk that we try to mitigate is, you know, we're, we're locking up interest rates on that construction loan that's fixed. We're getting it for a fixed term, like your, your home mortgage, you know, you, you get a, you know, 10 year arm that's fixed at whatever that rate is for 10 years, and then it can adjust, but typically you're probably refining out before it adjusts and you're, you know, getting a better rate or you're taking money off the table. You know, it's the same thing here with commercial real estate where, you know, we're, we're in for a fixed amount of time. So, you know, if the interest rate environment changes up or down, uh, whatever, we've locked in that rate, right? So that, that rate is guaranteed for the life of the loan. Um, and secondly, we've, we're locking in construction pricing, right? So we, we do what's called a, you know, kind of a GMP or guaranteed maximum price. And that gets, that gets, um, that gets all docked up before we're actually in construction. We show that to the lender. Um, we vet that. Uh, we get into a place that's comfortable. And so these variable things that people think about as, you know, these are volatile things that are changing. Yeah, they are. Unless you lock them up. And that's what we do from a contract standpoint is we are locking up and we're locking into rates. We're locking into a price with these particular variables um, that are happening in the marketplace that allow us to sleep, you know, better at night in terms of, you know, those things aren't going to move unless, you know, on the construction side, I make a change on the ownership side that is above and beyond the guaranteed maximum price. Um, but I yet feel comfortable with that move and spending more money that that's on me. But other than that, we design it, they price it, they got to build it for that price. And and that's the, that's the letter of the law, right? So, so we try to neutralize a lot of these moving pieces um, to allow for 
um, I think a, a more less risky kind of perceived in, environment that that those out there that may not kind of understand the different nuances of how we do the construction and how we lock in the different groups that we do to build and to lend us the money um, from the con construction lender standpoint. And then what the cost of the, our equity is from our equity partners. And so, you know, they have a cost of capital. We have to hit those costs of capital. You know, the, the way that the developer gets paid, you know, we're typically first money in, last money out. Um, so we need to make sure that we're taking care of our joint venture equity on the LP side that's coming in alongside our money. And typically the developers put anywhere from kind of five to 10%, maybe more depending on the relationships or how, you know, far along there in the evolution of, of their career and what they can point to from, you know, um, you know, just a, a portfolio. And you, you touched on it earlier. How do people get comfortable with you? How does everybody kind of get into this thing and say, you know, hey, it's a green light? There's a lot of work that gets orchestrated um, to, to do that. There's a lot of educating, and um, it's definitely not for the faint-hearted, which is, you know, why you know the the industry, you know, isn't filled with a bunch of developers, you know, going out all the time because it's it's a very challenging environment. Um, it's a very efficient, liquid environment. And so you just have to be cognizant of that. You know, I think going in, you know, and you guys are probably seeing, you know, a bit of this process going from, you know, buying existing assets, value add assets and uh, going into the development space and, and just how competitive it is and, and what a lot of the kind of, you know, again, gating issues could be for those sites, what the city's doing, what the area is doing, et cetera. And so, you know, these are things that you just got to get comfortable with and, you know, it takes time to kind of go through the process. And, you know, we kind of call it school fees where you, everybody's going to make mistakes. But, you know, as time goes by, you you, you get a, a bigger toolbox that, you know, you can dig into that allows you to, you know, to navigate, you know, circumvent a lot of these things and work through them to, to, to really benefit and further the, um, you know, the projects and, and your capital and, and your time. So, I guess, That's you know, great. those are some of the things that I would say, um, and we can get further in and into, you know, some different nuances of, of, of how we kind of um, get a better return profile. You know, there's programs out there um, like a C-PACE um, that is passed here in, in the state of Colorado where we're building um, that allows us to put kind of 15 to 20% of additional debt, um, you know, subordinated to the senior lender. So it allows us to go higher up on the leverage, and and we're looking at that in our deals, Chris. Where you know we'd like to bring in C Pace as as a part of our our lending platform, which allows us to really be a creative and thoughtful to um, to the equity, which allows us you know kind of to not have to put in as much equity because we're going higher up on the leverage. It's priced probably pretty similar right now in the market in terms of you know where interest rates are in the ten year Treasury. Um, you know, and this is, you know, kind of maybe a nugget here for everybody, you know, if, if you have C-PACE available in your, in your market, look at it. It, it's a highly undervalued, um, debt program that, um, I think everybody should be looking at, you know, we're, we're all building, you know, to probably a green or, you know, very sustainable standard anyway, just based on code. Um, and this allows us to, to kind of take advantage of some additional, uh, you know, financing that we would be replacing like a mezzanine or a preferred equity piece that's really expensive, typically at, you know, kind of 10 to 15%, depending on your relationships. 
um, to actually bring in something for, you know, maybe five to 6%, um, that is a nice layer on top and it's debt and it's not equity. So, you know, we just need to treat it as debt. And, um, that's, that's great for us as, as a developer, because we're putting less of our money in our IRRs go up, our multiples on cash go up. Um, and that's just, you know, some of the things that we're doing in the marketplaces now, you know, with interest rates, you know, going where they are, people not putting out as much money, you know, how do, how do we continue to get, uh, I think financially savvy about how we put our deals together and make them more attractive, uh, for our equity partners and, and for our lenders so that they're comfortable with who we are. And so, you know, all a part of the narrative and, and how we put our pitch decks together and, and, and we're doing that now. And so, you know, these are all things that we can talk about more in depth and I can, you know, help bring on, you know, more experts in the area that can talk through some of these different things. But, um, no, yeah, this I is think great. that's kind of it. So let me, let me ask you this, Bradley. So that, first of all, that's a great explanation. I love it. And I love that you tossed in this, uh, the CPACE stuff. That's, that's good. And there's, there's so many moving parts to this. We've talked about it a little bit, right? There's strategic partners, there's private equity, there's, let's say, buyer representatives, there's all these different players. And oftentimes they might see you on the development side on the phone calls. They might see me out there on the, on some of the LP equity side and, and man, helping manage the asset. They don't see the other 20 people or the other eight team members that are very strategically placed to help execute these let's say in in this fund for example that we're looking at you know there's going to be six properties worth about half a billion dollars by the time it's said and done but mostly they're seeing you know Bradley Chris Paul whoever working these things right so obviously there's a lot going on and you've touched on a fraction of it which was was amazing let me ask you this for someone who wants to understand not so granular because we could i mean there's so much right but more so okay let's say January 2022 okay we we spent months securing a piece of land. We we finally got acceptance of letter of intent, which is okay. We want to sell you our land, and now we're working through the process. Can you just quickly give high level bullet points of a timeline and how that would work? For example, January twenty twenty two, and then four months later, we're doing this, and then six months later, and I'm talking like a one liner. It doesn't have to be in depth, yep. right? Yep. So someone could literally look at their wall and go, okay. January 2021 is at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we'll take, we'll take one of our examples. Um, so deal, deal that I, I was working on, um, you know, and these things aren't just obvious. So we put together an assemblage here in Denver in the Rhino river North district. Um, and you know, we have three different sellers and we've got to, we've got to herd, herd them all together and, and put a contract together that, that feels and looks and reads as one. So, you know, the, the, the challenges are different. So you said, don't get granular. So I'm going to try not to get granular. So uh, January, I start talking to, to a potential seller. Um, it may take, you know, a week. It may take a month to get to that LOI signed that, that allows us to move those high level business terms into a purchase and sale agreement. That purchase and sale agreement if it's standardized, how complicated the prod the property could be, if there's environmental or zoning issues that we have to um, navigate, that could be a you know kind of two to you know four week process, depending on you know what we need to get through and 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 any you know items that become snags, and then we're in contract, and then we have earnest money that goes in with the with the title company. They hold it there, our soft deposits, which you know everybody's 
you know, now we're, we're in a, a binding contract scenario at that stage. And then we have our due diligence period. That due diligence period could be anywhere from 30 days, 150 days, whatever is negotiated, right? So we're in January, let's just say we're tracking, let's just say we're, you know, by the time we sign the contract, we're in, you know, three months later um, from when we start that first conversation. So we're March, April, then we're in a signed contract. We have our due diligence um, phase that we're going through to find out the feasibility. Let's just say that's another three months, right? On top of the April. So three, four months, it takes us into kind of where we are now. It's kind of a, a July, August, you know, time frame where we're having to make a decision on the feasibility of the project. And here's the Felix, you know, case in point, you know, we're in a scenario where by the end of this month, we have to make that decision. We've met with the city, we have a concept plan in, you know, we've had the conversations. How do we feel? Right? Here's the gut check. This is this is this is where, you know, you got to make a decision. It's either left or right. It's a flip of the coin. Um, but it shouldn't be a flip of the coin, it should be an educated, you know, we're going or we're not going. Right. So we have enough information at this point. In August, <clears throat> we go hard. Go hard. Now we have basically the time from the go hard to our closing. That could be 60 days. That could be, you know, another you know, 180 days, whatever that is negotiated. Let's just use the example. We have to close by end of year. By end of year, when we say December 31st, no one's doing that. They're typically closing you know, probably a few days before the end of the year. Um, so we're closing the end of the year. We close the end of the year. That takes us through 12 months, really, of making point of contact, getting the contract signed, going through our, our due diligence phase, electing to go forward, and then having to close on that property. So that takes us through the actual closing of the property. We're doing a lot of work in between to further the site development plan. And that usually, depending on market, could take anywhere from kind of six to, to 12 months, depending on what the city's doing, backlog, et cetera. So we're, we can parallel a lot of these things once we go hard and we really start spending the money because we, we know we're going forward. So during that, say, you know, five or six months, we're furthering our plans. So say we're in construction kind of you know, we do a really good job. We have a great, you know, uh, deal team. We're in construction in Q1 of, of 2023, right? So, you know, figure it's about a 14-month process, um, depending on the particular market to get you into construction. 12 to 14 months is, is, is you know, typically where, you know, some of these markets that we're in right now um, are, are trading at in terms of time. So hopefully that is as bullet point as I can get. No, to, that was to, that to was hunt you on, on 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 what the kind of the 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 genesis of you know point of contact to when you're actually in construction, and then again construction could be eighteen to twenty four months depending on what that is, and then you're into a stabilization and a lease up period um, of that particular asset. And, you know, we could talk about that later. I think we've we've chewed up a lot of airtime here, and people probably have enough to. Um, to think about and ask questions about. Yeah, no, that was that was great, and that that's really because the the questions we hear a lot are, you know, the risk, the risk profile of new construction, which you've obviously you've overcome that challenge with a little bit of education, right? It's it's knowledge is power if it's applied correctly. It's what Covey says, right? It's just hey, 
you know, share some stuff with me, educate me a little and let me make my own decision. Obviously, with all the growth and the shortage in the industry of housing and 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 the markets particularly that you're building in, it's not really an issue. It's just a matter of someone understanding the process. And then you outlining the 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 process of acquisition to occupancy was great. So just the short story really is uh, it takes you anywhere from a year to 14 months or so to go through your whole process. Um, some of that, some of that uh, can be escalated if you've already secured a property that has maybe entitlements or things done already or whatever. But that's all something that you can't control right out of the gate. I mean, you're, you're. It could be brand new ground up, and it's a fresh lead. It could be, hey, we're buying it from someone who's already done most of that work, and it moves forward four months or something. But nonetheless, twelve to fourteen, and then your construction is going to take anywhere from eighteen to twenty-four, roughly somewhere in there, give or take, size of the building, et cetera and stabilization, occupying letters of occupancy and all that, and then you're ready to go. And so when you're getting into these projects, generally you're holding them anywhere from five to seven years. Obviously you get pre-sale offers sometimes where people might come in and say, hey, we love what you're doing, finish that building and we'll give you a a personal sale agreement ahead of time. Or, hey, we'd like to buy your land already because you locked it in before these rules and regulations went into play or whatever it may be. And you guys are really good at that. So, so I appreciate explaining that. I think you've you've overcome most of those challenges and those questions that we hear from people, which is how does this process work? Um, what are what are kind of some of the risks associated? What do you guys do to offset that? You even touched on some of the new creative lending practices, which I love because that's an unknown, right? All the economy and the interest rates. And mm-hmm. if you look at the historical averages, you know, you can tell that it's usually six to 24 months during a recession. What happens after a recession? Everything catches on fire. There's tons of growth. And so the timing of all these works just perfectly for everything we're seeing. And the reality is that this recession isn't a true recession like we would normally see there's and that's a whole nother podcast but um, <laughs> I, I, I I appreciate that your knowledge and experience is 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 much appreciated we, we love working with your team and are very excited to develop all these assets with you and uh, I think you've explained it beautifully um so I think we'll we'll kind of leave it at that unless you have any parting words or anything you want to touch on as we close. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I think for everybody out there who's, you know, kind of on the fence and you hear people pulling back, we're not making investments, you know, all these things that you're hearing, um, just to kind of dispel, you know, from my standpoint is like, you know, listen, we just had a 12 year, you know, very bull market. A lot of people made a lot of money and there's a lot of dry powder out there. How do you stay rich? How do you, how do you put that money to work? I believe it's in real estate. Uh, people need places to live. We found that out through COVID and, and you know, in the multifamily mixed use space that we're in, we found out that housing can also be your office, right? So how valuable is place? We talk about Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and what needs to be met. It's, you know, place, it's shelter is one of those things, right? We need to have it, you know, you're, otherwise you're exposed to the elements and, and that's probably not a good thing. Um, so I think people who are out there pulling back, I would say this is the, this is the, this is the best time to actually go out and find opportunities. There's less um, crowd in, in, in the marketplaces, less competition because people are feeling that they need to try to, you know, perceive like time the market. Oh, we're pulling back. We're really smart. We're going to time the market. You can't time the market. And if you do time the market, you got really lucky and you can talk about, Oh, we timed the market. We're really smart. No, you got really lucky. So let's just call it what it is. Um, and we do real estate. We don't do the market, right? We're not here to try to time it. Um, we're just, we can be more con, uh, I think 
uh, conscious about how we spend um, our time and resources in particular markets and just evaluating um, in different ways and finding new ways to be accretive to the deal. And so I think that this is a perfect time. You're raising a fund and this is the kind of, you know, maybe, you know, market you guys a little bit. I think that you're in a really good position right now um, to be raising money for development deals. I think that it's just a great environment to, to go out and do this. And I think that, um, you know, anybody who's, who's out there who has money and made a bunch of money, real estate is definitely the right place to be socking it away right now. If you pulled it out of the market and, you know, we have opportunity zone, uh, deals that, that we're working on, Chris, where, you know, if people have, you know, capital gains right now and are looking for places to put money, we've got places to put money. We've got places to give you that tax advantage. We, you know, we can do a lot of really creative things in real estate. And so I guess that's the last plug here, you know, on my side, which is, you know, talk to Chris, talk to Paul. They got an amazing fund that they're raising right now, which is a development fund that I'm a part of. And so maybe it's a, a self plug here on my side, but um, we're stacking the pipeline with really amazing deals and and robust markets through uh, Colorado and, and Arizona. And uh, I, I just invite everybody and encourage them to ask questions, reach out to Chris and Paul and and, and see how you can be a part of it. I think this is the, the opportune time to invest. Cool. Thanks, you, Bradley. I appreciate you. And uh, thank you so much for your time. It's extremely valuable. We're uh, grateful that you could share all that knowledge and look forward to some future conversations as we move through the process. So thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. We'll see you later. If you're ready to start creating your fortune today, head over to createyourfortunepodcast.com forward slash income. When you get to the page, there are two options. Option one is for you if you're not sure exactly how the investment process works or how to get ready to be an investor. We've created a short, fast class you can sign up for that will walk you through the steps and answer questions like, what does a good investment look like? And so much more. It even includes an audio version so you can quickly learn on the go as you golf, go to your day job, or work out. Just think. In a couple of days, you can start listening and learning about creating your fortune and not be stuck wondering, do I even have enough to retire? And then option two is for you if you're a sophisticated or accredited investor and have money to invest, you just need to talk to us about our next investment opportunity. You can quickly schedule a call with us and we can walk you through your options on how to get dividends flowing right away. We can help you create a plan to have three to 10,000 or even more in passive income every month that's reliable, safe, and steady. Ditch the small returns and unpredictable growth. Head over to createyourfortunepodcast.com forward slash income. And let's build the life of your dreams today.